Good morning, church. Morning, Classic Service. Glad to have you and those viewing online. Name is Branziski, the lead pastor here. Our heartbeat at Austin Oaks is to be simply about Jesus. And um, I honestly think it's very appropriate for me just to lean in for a moment as we were just worshiping. I was just like, man, once again, I think it's important for the local church who profess faith in Jesus to remind ourselves that Jesus is Lord of Lords. In the midst of the cultural, political election and all of the stuff, church, may we stay rooted in Jesus. Because we just, we can't go down the path that we did a few years ago. We got to remember that Jesus is the hope that the world is looking for. The church is the vehicle, the bride of Christ, where Jesus wants to shine his light in and through us. And so this is a great moment and a great season for the church to intentionally move into the areas of darkness in our world and talk about Jesus. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. This is not the message I have written. (laughs) But I just feel this need to be like, okay, church, let's center again. We are simply about Jesus. We are about the gospel. We are about moving and helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus. And I think that's also one of the reasons why it's like I was thinking about it. It's like God's timing is rather impeccable, especially as we've been in the season of needing rest and asking that question. Because all of, all of these other variables and things that are happening around us from gender ideology and school and election and economics and all this kind of stuff. And how it can start to kind of like stir up like all sorts of anxiety and stress and fear and worry just from external factors. And if we were to pause and look at our own, our own hearts, we would realize how much worry and fear and anxiety and exhaustion is just in our own lives as well. And we need to remember that God extends sends to us his rest. And he invites us to enter into it. And so that's what we've been looking at. And so I don't know, even though I just said this, but maybe you're not aware that the midterm election is still lingering. And we have no idea. And quite frankly, as followers of Jesus, it's irrelevant Not to say it doesn't matter, but it does. And what I found rather fascinating, especially as I was planning this series and the timing of all things, was looking at what was one of the top voting issues. What was helping people inform their ballots? A lot of people were talking about this. And one of the top voting issues was the economy and finance and inflation, the recession. And I was just like, well, that's rather fascinating. Because what is money ultimately tied to? This is what we're going to discover this morning. We're talking about money. 
Because as much as we need rest, we need to realize that this whole series of rest is about the heart. And if it's about the heart, it's about who or what we are placing our trust in. And Jesus attacks this topic, multiple areas and multiple angles all throughout scripture. And it has nothing to do with money per se. It has everything to do of what's below it, of what's attached to it. And I wonder why the world right now, when it thinks about all of this stuff and it's all concerned and all worried about the finances, you've got to start asking this question, what is it doing to people internally? And so I wanted to take the moment and just go, okay, what's a snapshot of America right now and how they're relating, interacting with money apart from the politics of it all? And I found some rather fascinating statistics, which really, quite frankly, isn't a surprise. 65% of Americans, I mean, this is in the last three months, 65% of Americans indicated that money is a significant source of stress. And in that same study, they discovered that the average American not just thinks but worries about their money at least six times per day. Uh, Confession. One of the reasons why I love and hate preaching is because I am not exempt from God's word kicking me in the mouth. And as I read six, I went, I think I broke six by 10 a.m. And it's like, like I, I'm a finance background, and so I like to invest. And I'm like, it's a bad week. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And God's like, see? I was like, whew, I need to. God, this speak to my heart. 90% of Americans say that financial considerations have impacted their stress. Can we do this? Can we not do this? Should we, are we able to go to the doctor? Not able to go to the doctor? Can we buy this? Not buy this? All those types of conversations. 65% of Americans are indicating that financial difficulties are piling up to the point they can't overcome them. 40%, I actually bet this is larger, wish they could have a financial reset. Amen? How is your stress level, church? So let's take a quick church assessment, shall we? How much do you think about money? How much do you stress about it? How much does it affect your life? Control decision making. Maybe even your call to follow Jesus. How does money affect that? How does money affect your sense of contentment? Are you content with little? Or are you believing the lie that you'll be content once you have that? How many arguments or tense moments has money caused in your home? (laughs) How often has money led you to sin? How often has money or economics led you to judge others? Maybe you don't have a lot and you judge the rich, or maybe you have a lot and you judge the poor. How often do you tend to put trust in a sense of security and money over God? How hard is it for you to be sacrificial or generous in your giving because of fear, specifically in an inflationary, recessionary period? Last question, I promise. Which would cause you more anxiety and or stress this moment if there was no God or if you had no more money or net worth? Which would cause more stress? These are tough questions. 
like, I, it's hard to be honest because, like, there's parts of me that would be like, no, no, I know this. But it's just like there's parts of me that at the same time, like, I know this rattles my heart. I know it causes stress. I know these types of things. I know I wish I had more than what I have. Even though I know in comparison to the rest of the world, I am considered wealthy. I know these things. So why does it still affect me? Jesus made it clear, and this is the whole part of this and why we're talking about this in this series of rest. Jesus made it clear, and we're going to see this, that money in our relationship to it and with it, because money is neutral, it's not evil, it's the relationship we have with it and what it all it means to us, that is probably the top and most significant competitor for your heart. And that is probably the reason why a lot of times people in the church do not like it when money is talked about. Is because we have a hunch that it's not just money, that there's something deeper to it. That's the whole point. If the battle is for the heart, then it's a battle of faith. Then it's a battle of trust, which then dictates the quality of rest that we have. It's not about money. It's just like an iceberg. You see the tip, but there's so much more below the surface. And that's exactly what scriptures teach and show us. That it's not about money because money is neutral. It's about our relationship to it and where we attach trust and security and identity to. Our relationship with money reveals things below the surface. It, it reveals the heart. And when we see the heart, the heart will reveal and reflect what we worship, what we treasure, what we value, and what we are willing to make sacrifices for. It will show us what we trust and where we find security. The heart matters. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. So to go back to the principle of the series with rest, we've been talking about this application, UDA, with those bracelets of observe, orient, decide, and act. So before we get into the passage this morning, I want to practice a little bit of this right now. Observe, how have you been reacting or feeling lately to the economic and political landscape? Simple observation. How have you been feeling? Anxious, worried, concerned, frustrated, mad? Observe how you're feeling right now, knowing that we're talking about money. Fair? Observe your relationship with money. And observe then your relationship with God. Is it honoring to him? Do you honor God with money? Are you content no matter what? Observe that. And then the next step is orient. Will you now turn your heart and your ears to hear from God and what he has to say? Or will you stay turned in walking in the path that looks like the world? Then we're going to decide and act. What will we do? Rest comes from faith, and faith looks like trust. And trust looks like walking with Jesus on his path.
path. We need to assess our relationship to and with money through the lens of Scripture. Through the lens of Scripture. And what we're going to discover is that God addresses this issue primarily through the lens of wisdom, through reason, of observing how life generally works, so that it opens the door for God to get into our heart to talk about the issue of money. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to attack it from the wisdom perspective. We're going to look at it from the intellectual side. We're going to be in Proverbs, and we're going to allow that to open the door, and then we're going to see what Jesus has to say and how it connects to the heart. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And if you invited a friend to church this morning and you're absolutely embarrassed because we're talking about money and you're fearful and you're scared, that's okay. Because it's not about money. Proverbs 1, 1 through 3. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. Okay, the reason why I'm starting here is for us to understand the nature of what Proverbs is. Proverbs is like a law of living. These are like universal principles of how life works. Solomon was the wisest person that ever has lived. And these are reflections of how God has established life to operate. It's a model of reality. So if we hang on to these wisdom sayings and apply it, then we will be wise. Like then we will start to understand the way that God designed life to be. Now it, this makes absolute sense. In nature, there are laws like gravity. Like it, you, can, you can even be as like um, ignorant as you want and say gravity doesn't exist, but it does and it affects you regardless if you believe in it or not, right? So that's the same thing with Proverbs because God created all things. He established life to operate in a certain way. And so that's what Proverbs is. It's a principle for how life works. And then we're going to see that there's three primary characters in Proverbs. And you see that through verses 4 through 7. But I'm going to summarize it for us. And we talked about this, I think, a couple of years ago. And I just want to set the base again. That there's three characters in Proverbs. There's the simple. There's the fool. And then there's the wise. You got the simple, the fool, and the wise. The simple is oftentimes connected to young age, to youth. Okay, it's, it's like someone who doesn't think about the consequences of their actions. They're not piecing together that if I do A today, B will happen, right? They're just going, hey, it's YOLO, FOMO, FOLO, YOLO, whatever it is. And I don't really care about where it's going. But the wise person's looking at it. You're like, don't do that. You're like, okay. Like, I'm reminded of a time, like, when our littlest Addie, I, I found her in her room cutting up her clothes. And I remember going, babe, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? She goes, I don't know. <laughs> That's the simple. Now, I got an example of me being simple. This past week, I made a decision that I didn't think through too carefully. And then I came home, and my wife's like, hey, did you think about this? And under the effect of all these other things, like, no, the simple, right? So that's it. You can either be the simple, which is like you're ignorant. You're not thinking about how this decision affects this. The fool is the one who knows what is right. 
The fool is the one who knows God's will, God's ways, God's principles. The one who knows what they ought to do and then doesn't do it. That's the fool. The wise is the one who knows the right thing to do and does it. So when we look at money, and when we look at these situations, you can be one of these three people. Are you the simple, the fool, or the wise? Now, this is all set up because God goes, this is typically how people live. God spoke his word. Our first message in the series was, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. Right? So it's like, what do you do with God's word? What do we do with God's principles? What do we do with God's ways? In verse 7 of chapter 1 of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. What is the fear of the Lord? It's respect. It's acknowledging him for who he is. It means we are open to him, eager to please him. We have the humility to be teachable, to realize that we're sometimes simple and we're sometimes foolish and we don't know. To fear the Lord means we will repent and turn from our acts of unrighteousness and surrender to his way and his will. The fear of the Lord is an invitation for new beginnings. It's an invitation of repentance. It's always a path that always speaks of something new. So I want to go now to the proverb that is well known and well used, but oftentimes out of context. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. Okay, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord. Anybody? See, you got, what? You're, you're smart. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Look at the invitation. Trust, acknowledge in all your ways and then the promise, he will make straight your paths. Like, this is fascinating. Like, there are words here that we need to grab hold of. All would probably be the word that stands out the most. Trust in the Lord with 90%. All your heart, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And then he will make your paths straight. Observe where are you at. How are you trusting the Lord in these areas? How are you acknowledging him, right? Are you going to orient yourself to hearing from God's word? Now you got to decide. Will you be simple, foolish, or wise? What will you do? Because if you choose to trust him with all your heart and choose to acknowledge him with everything, he will make your straight you will make straight your paths. Like, he will. And the reality is, every single one of us in this room, we are on a path. We are on a path, and that path is taking us to a certain direction, on a certain destination. Your marriage, your family, your finances, everything, you are on a path. You have to ask the question, are you on God's path or on a different path? God wants to make sure you are on the right path because he loves you. 
He wants to bless you and he wants you to enter into his rest. And so when he says these things like trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways, acknowledge him, you may feel sometimes what I feel, overwhelmed. Because I'm like, how do you do that? I, all, like, I already know I'm going to fail. But it's about effort. It's about being on the path and constantly moving in that direction. So I stumbled upon the Hebraic thinking of the word trust. And it's absolutely beautiful. The Hebraic thinking of trusting is like I'm throwing myself completely on this person. It's absolute dependence. And so I'm not condoning this, but think of poker. Okay? I got a hand. And I'm looking at this hand. And this hand is the gospel. How will I play this hand? Trusting in the Lord in all your ways is taking all your chips and going, I'm all in. That's the image. You're going all in. Solomon is setting you up and you don't even realize it yet. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your paths straight. Go all in. That's what this looks like. But you got to understand the path that you are on, it reflects who or what you trust. The path you are on is a reflection of who or what you trust. Because if you choose him, he will make your path straight. Just like Rob, Pastor Rob preached last week, he's our good shepherd and he will only lead you on good paths. Even if it looks like the valley of the shadow of death, it's still good. The path, it reflects who or what you trust, but it also reflects who you acknowledge most or what you acknowledge most in your life. Verse 7, so don't be wise in your own eyes. But I got shortcuts. I know how to do this. I, I, got, I got this. I don't know how to tell. I don't need to do it God's way. I, I got to figure it out. I know how to do this. I know how to get out of debt on my own. I got it. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. In other words, by implication, God's path actually protects us. Because when we fear the Lord, right, we're not being wise in our own eyes. We're fearing the Lord. That means we're repenting and then walking on his path. We're removing ourselves from evil. That's protection. But then it'll be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones, verse 8. That's rest. That's rest. That's rejuvenation. That's a life of vibrancy. So trust him. Don't be wise in your own eyes. An article I read this week, simple, shouldn't be a surprise, but two of the greatest causes of health issues in America, one relating to nutrition, which I think is all lies. The second one... The second one is stress. In a thousand years before Jesus was born, we are given a principle for a way how life works to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean down on your own understanding. And then when you trust his path, his ways, 
your stress, anxiety, worry, exhaustion goes down. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Same concepts. So Brandon, I thought we were talking about money. We are. But we needed to see and to understand how we will interact with God's word. We need to see and understand, will we choose to be simple, foolish, or wise? We need to think this through. Because here's what's fascinating. Solomon starts there and he goes, in verse 9, start with this one. Start with this one. Trust the Lord in this one. Acknowledge him in this one. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth. It is not misplaced. It's intentionally placed. Start here. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's all connected. It's all connected. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, with what you do with your money. Solomon knows, hear me guys, hear me. He knows that where your money goes, that's where your heart goes. When we begin to trust God with our money, I am telling you, everything else seems to begin to fall into place in the realm of our heart and trust. If we cannot trust God with this, I guarantee you there are a slew of issues in your life you do not trust God with. If you put money under the lordship of Jesus, you begin to put everything else under that lordship as well. And it's not because God's like, I need your money. God could care less. He doesn't need your money. He just knows that that's the vehicle that gets to your heart. That's what he wants. And now let's go to that because I believe the door in our mind has been opened up enough for it to go down into our heart. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus' greatest sermon which was so revolutionary, so upside down, and so radical to how the Jews of that day were thinking. And now when Jesus comes to this subject, they are like shocked that Jesus would teach it this way. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, rust, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Contrast, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. The word treasures is absolutely fascinating. Something of significant value, it's precious. It's something that you work hard for, something you want to attain. And the issue isn't pursuing treasures, the issue is, is on what side are you pursuing those treasures? Are you laying up treasures only on earth? Like this is what matters. Money and everything that it, it's connected to. I'm laying up the treasures here on earth. My purpose in life is on earth. My, my value and what I think is significant and precious to me is only on earth. Or will you lay up treasures in heaven? The gospel, Jesus, relationships, stewardship. I mean, this is important for us to understand. 
These treasures, like you, you, we, we all do it. We all have treasures. Now, I want you to see this, like the, the beauty and the shrewdness of Jesus' teaching. Verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It's not so much about the treasure. It's about where you're laying it up. Money's neutral. Is your life all about the here and now and material gain and this and that and worrying about all this type of stuff? Because as a follower of Jesus, everything has been completely flipped upside down. We now live for the kingdom of heaven. We are now ambassadors. We now live for Jesus. So lay up your treasures on earth or on heaven. To go after a treasure means you are investing your time, your abilities, your finances, your margin. That's why this is significant. Because what has your heart really dictates everything. You see the significance of this? You want rest? How do you handle this issue? Man, I don't know if you ever felt this, but like, what causes so much stress and anxiety when it comes to money? Like, I was thinking about this, like, have I ever like stressed out when I gave money to the church? Or when I invested into like helping children in Africa New Life? Like, have I ever been like, oh my gosh, I can't But like, when I buy like the iPhone 11, I'm stressed out because I know in two days, iPhone 12 is out, right? Like today's awesome is tomorrow's awful. Like everything has a shelf life. Everything fades. There's always an update. There's always an upgrade. There's always someone who has something better. I bought a new shirt. Dang it, I dripped coffee on it. Right? There's all sorts of things. There's always things to fix. The house wasn't what you thought. The car's breaking down. Money doesn't love you. Why is it always trying to leave through the back door? Right? Your Roth IRA doesn't love you. Your job doesn't love you. The stuff you buy doesn't love you. Jesus loves you. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. You are eternally secure through Jesus. But all of these treasures on earth, oh my goodness. Think, I'm going to go there for a second. Think about all the money we even pour into election campaigns instead into the kingdom of God. Jesus knows there's no greater competition in your life than money and what it represents. So you remember, above all else, guard your heart. Remember that he has a path, and his path protects, and it brings rest. Remember that his yoke is easy, and his burden is right. And remember that he is your good shepherd, because all of a sudden, he starts to lay this next part out, which is actually rather shocking. Verse 22 through 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, the eye is the conduit for everything else inside of you. So if your eye is healthy, which is actually the word generous in the Greek, if your eye is healthy or generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body, bad, like technically stingy, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is Jesus getting at? He's essentially saying that the channel to the heart is what you focus on. Where you're setting your attention and your priorities. And if you set your eyes on the treasures in heaven, right? Like your healthy eye, there's a generousness because I'm giving myself, I'm giving my time, I'm giving my treasures, I'm moving in this way. The light inside of you will be radiant. But if your eye is focused on the treasures of earth, how great is that darkness? Why is having a good eye, a generous eye, so important? And why did Jesus say it looks like radiant light? Because it reflects the very heart of our God. A core attribute of God is generous. God so loved the world, he gave Jesus became poor so that we become rich. He's generous. The gospel is about generosity. Not just finances, but our whole way of living. Because now he goes to verse 24. Imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment you've never, ever heard this verse. You've never heard this verse before. Okay? And playing with that, play dumb with me for a moment. How would you answer this question? Okay? No one can serve two masters, put in the word lords there, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. What would you fill in this blank? You cannot serve God and blank. You've never heard this before. What would you te- like typically put in there? Come on, shout it out. Yourself. I'm not going to say that because that's the answer. <laughs> World. Kids. Satan. Right? Like, we would not expect what Jesus says. You cannot serve God and money. That was a shock to these Jewish disciples because that's not how they were taught. This is so important. You cannot serve God and money. Because our heart can only give itself to one Lord. You are not created to have the capacity to worship more than one Lord. It's either all of God or none of God. But the problem is so often in the church, we are more like practical atheists when it comes to the realm of dealing with finances. Because we go 80%. I'm serving Jesus. 20% is my blank. You can't do that. The word devoted and despised 
is so powerful. I see the church in Acts 2, 42 through 47 as a great example of what laying up treasures in heaven looks like. And they were devoted, it says, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to giving. Laying up treasures in heaven. They were devoted. And then it's by no chance or no no mistake that the next line in verse 25 says this. Therefore, because of all of this that we talked about, do not be anxious. <laughs> like, don't be anxious. And all of a sudden he lists this whole bunch of things. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body. Don't worry about the clothes that's going on. Is life not more than food? Is life not more than this? And he just keeps going on and on and on. He's like, guys, God takes care of the birds. Are you not more valuable to them or to God than they are? Like, come on. Nobody can add an hour to their life by worrying about these things. Like, this is constant challenge. And then he says, like, in verse 30, like, oh, you of little faith. Oof. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Why? Because that's the path that the world is on. The Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need these. So seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things will be given unto you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways. Acknowledge him, and you'll make your path straight. Same concept. So where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Because that's really where the rubber hits the road. If you want rest... Will you choose to trust his path? And his path, when it comes to money, is Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and give him the first fruits. Not table scraps, not leftovers, not dependence upon what's happening in the economy, none of that. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Simple application. Simple application. Have a conversation with God with your money. That's it. Invite him in. Do you pray and ask God how to build a budget? Have you ever asked God how much you should tithe? Do you have an accountability partner that you can say, hey, look at my finances? Have a conversation with God. Let the spirit lead. That's the first thing. And second thing, which is of utmost importance in the context of giving and generosity, Paul mentions here in 2 Corinthians 8 through 5, this is what is of utmost importance. Give yourself first to the Lord. Because once he has your heart, then this issue of giving and money doesn't matter. 
give yourself first to the Lord. That's it. Need rest? Get on his path. Get on his path. Jesus, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it is alive, it's active. Lord, thank you that you don't pull any punches and that you just speak to it and it's, it's not to like shame us or guilt us or to ruin our fun or our plans. It's to give us life because you're good and you're faithful. God, your path protects. Your path leads us to rest. In fact, your path even leads to plenty. We have no reason to worry. So God, I pray that you would do a work in our heart, convict us of the areas where we're not honoring you. And it may be with money, and it might be other areas. But Lord, I pray for that your spirit would cause us to repent, to get off whatever path we were on, and to get on your path. Lord, I pray that we would be people who would go all in with the gospel. All in. And that we would strive to continue to enter into your rest, fight to trust you. So Lord, I ask that you would just do a a work in our hearts during these final moments of worship together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to lead, convict, guide, bless, encourage. And church, I want to encourage you that if you need prayer for anything, we have people on the sides who would love to pray for you. And I want to encourage you, like it, there is power in prayer and, and be humble enough to come up and to receive that prayer. So Jesus, have your way. In Christ's name.